This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I am Sam Sachs. I'm Sam Knight. We are broadcasting out of Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. We've got some bad news coming out of Kentucky. Uh, First, uh, a bit of a correction or mea culpa from uh, yesterday's show. Right, Sam? Yeah, I... uh so the um, the incident at the uh, Capitol Hill occupied protest in Seattle, um, I uh, I fucked up. I was going off an early tweet about the incident, and um, it's uh, it's pretty dark. And uh, the, what led up to the shooting isn't quite clear. Uh, it seems that there was someone going around shooting at the uh, at the chop. It's unclear if it was the car that was eventually hit or not. Uh, but the point is uh, that the two people killed in the, or one person killed in the car was a, the 16 year old. Um, the person wounded was a 14 year old. There, there were two black kids. I think it's safe to say that um, it wasn't hardened. Um, Patriot prayer guys or anything like that. It wasn't far right shit. Um, it doesn't look like that so far. And uh, it, 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 it's, I just, I feel awful for, um, you know, not thinking about it or, or just saying anything. I, I just should have said nothing. Yeah, there's a, yeah, who knows really. Uh, what information coming out of there is accurate and what information isn't. I see people sharing screenshots from 4chan as like, this is what happened at the Chaz. And it's like, I'm not sure if I can trust a a screenshot from 4chan either. Um, Clearly, this is a a messed up situation, pretty dark situation where people have been killed, someone has been killed. And... Uh, although we we don't know the circumstances leading up to it, uh, it's just more proof of how difficult it is to create something like the Chaz or or Chop. Um, you know, even though I, I have been supportive supportive of the efforts and still am supportive of the efforts, uh, you know, as as I, I tweeted and as we discussed earlier, <laughs> you can't build socialism in one neighborhood. Uh, there are tons of external forces that will uh, constantly pressure you. And um, we're seeing those play out and the difficulties in trying to respond to those without becoming the the cops themselves. So, uh, yeah, I'm not sure what else there is to say. Now, I, I think you covered all the bases there. Um, yeah, it's... it's uh I think that it's organizers have had the best of intentions and ultimately we need to try to uh, practice our ideas in the public sphere and try to create alternatives to the, to the capitalistic paradigm. Um, But it seems in this case, in retrospect, um, that they they got the, the, you know, I, it seems like they got the cart before the horse a little bit. And I guess what I mean is that this sort of uh, commune type 
project would probably um it, it has a better shot of succeeding if it's say the entire city rather than just one neighborhood <laughs> the seattle autonomous zone <laughs> yeah. all right um, the seattle but, commune yeah bad news out of kentucky i mentioned looks like amy mcgrath is the winner in that primary against charles booker she dumped 41 million dollars in the race to back into the primary the general election uh she got just completely trounced when it comes to same day voting um but she she won big in the in the votes that were already cast months ago in absentee ballot ballots and stuff like that so she's gonna win and a lot of resources, a lot of money has been dumped into that race to produce probably the weakest challenger you can think of against Mitch McConnell, uh, not to place blame on a lot of uh, Democrats in Kentucky who all made the right decision and endorsed Booker. But the uh, National Democratic Party, uh, the uh, Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee under the leadership of Chuck Schumer, all had their thumbs on the scale for Amy McGrath, and now they're stuck with her, uh, someone who campaigned on being able to implement Trump's agenda better than Mitch McConnell. And uh, to add to the general bleak political landscape, and uh, God, we were riding on such a high last Tuesday, and this Amy McGrath news is just, uh, it just sucks, because she really is um, just awful but uh to add to the bleakness and to tie things back to seattle it turns out uh seattle's mayor just asked the city council to consider uh censuring kashama Sawant, including possibly expelling her from the city council so we'll we'll see where that goes Yes, we will. All right, it's Tuesday, June 30th, 2020. Here's the news. The squad is pushing the State Department to say that actually ethnic cleansing is bad. Congresswomen Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, and Ayanna Presley have all called on the U.S. to stop supporting Israel's plans to annex the West Bank. The freshmen signed on to a letter which says U.S. aid to Israel should be withheld if annexation plans go forward. According to Politico, it promises impending legislation, which will, quote, include human rights conditions and the withholding of funds for the offshore procurement of Israeli weapons equal to or exceeding the amount the Israeli government spends annually to fund settlements, as well as the policies and practices that sustain and enable them. The letter was spearheaded by AOC, Tlaib, Betty McCollum, and Pramila Jayapal. Other House signatories include Raul Grijalva, Andre Carson, Nydia Velazquez, Bobby Rush, Tree Garcia, and Danny Davis. The only senator to endorse the letter, of course, was Bernie Sanders. Uh, as you heard, the language in the letter is pretty mild. Lawmakers should be opposing aid to Israel, even if it doesn't go forward with its annexation plans. Also, the letter cited old criticism from John Kerry, saying Israel will become an apartheid state if it goes through with annexation. It already is an apartheid state. Despite this mild language, the Israel lobby still wet itself. In a tweet posted yesterday, AIPAC said the bill, quote, explicitly threatens the U.S.-Israel relationship in ways that would damage American interests, risk the security of Israel, and make a two-state solution less likely. So if you don't support our plans to annex their state, we might have to annex their state uh, even more. 
According to the New York Times, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has promised to annex up to 30% of the West Bank. Palestinians say this will officially kill what little was left of the two-state solution and the Oslo Accords. Netanyahu's cabinet debate on the matter is scheduled to begin tomorrow. Before proceeding with plans, according to Reuters, Israel is still waiting on final approval from the U.S. of discussions. Netanyahu said, quote, we are working on it in these very days and will continue working on it in the coming days. Next up, I predicted this on the show a few weeks back, and here we are. The European Union is explicitly banning travelers from the United States. On Wednesday, the EU is planning to reopen its borders, but out of caution, it will restrict travel from certain countries where infection rates are too high, and the U.S. is at the top of that list. Meanwhile, countries like Canada, South Korea, and China have done enough mitigation to allow travelers to enter the EU. In a briefing last week, the EU noted that while European infections are occurring at a rate of 16 people per 100,000, in the U.S., it's 107 cases per 100,000, and it's not on the decline in the U.S. It's very much on the rise. Infection rates are increasing now in 35 states, more than 2.6 million cases, and over 125,000 people have died. Public health officials testified before the Senate on Tuesday, and Dr. Anthony Fauci with the National Institutes of Health informed lawmakers that he wouldn't be surprised if the infection rate increased to over 100,000 cases a day. Meanwhile, here was Senator Bernie Sanders discussing corporate misbehavior from the airline industry, which got bailed out in the coronavirus relief bill, but announced this week that it was going to take the highly risky step of booking flights at full capacity once again, including booking the middle row, the middle seat, cramming people together. But doesn't it sound a little bit silly and a little bit in violation of everything you guys have been talking about? Have people sitting next to each other for five or six hours in an airplane or crowded into a bus. And my question is, why hasn't you know the president issues a lot of executive orders? Why haven't we stopped uh, that type of activity and told the airlines and bus companies that is unhealthy? Senator, I appreciate your question, and I think it's, uh, it's a critical area. I can tell you that when they announced that the other day, obviously there was substantial disappointment with American Airlines. A number of the airlines had decided to keep the middle seat thing. Um, I can't say this is under critical review right now um, by us at CDC. Perhaps a strongly worded letter from the CDC even? Probably not going to get that either. Senator Rand Paul was also on hand at the hearing, and as you'd expect from a sicko libertarian like Paul, he used his questioning for a five-minute screed that basically can be summed up with, don't listen to the medical experts, let's let the markets decide who lives and who dies. Central planning with decision-making concentrated in a few hands can never fully grasp the millions of complex individual interactions occurring simultaneously in the marketplace. It is a fatal conceit to believe any one person or small group of people has the knowledge necessary to direct an economy or dictate public health behavior. I think government health experts during this pandemic need to show caution in their prognostications. It's important to realize that if society meekly submits to an expert and that expert is wrong, a great deal of harm may occur when we allow one man's policy or one group of small 
uh, men and women to be foisted on an entire nation. Perhaps our planners might think twice before they weigh in on every subject. Perhaps our government experts might hold their tongue before expressing the opinion whether we can play NFL football or Major League Baseball. Hayek had it right. Only decentralized power and decision-making based on millions of individualized situations can arrive at what risks and behaviors each individual should choose. That's what America was founded on. Sir, this is a Wendy's? Paging Rene Boucher, Rene Boucher, report to the Senate Health, Education, Labor, and Pension Committee. Rene Boucher, your services are needed immediately. In other news about the coronavirus economy slash oligarchy, Jerome Powell and Steve Mnuchin appeared before the House Financial Services Committee. Not one member asked them about what we talked about yesterday, the Fed buying $400-plus billion in corporate bonds. The committee seemed more focused on getting more bailouts for other industries, especially commercial real estate. Here's Florida Republican Bill Posey asking Mnuchin about forking over more public money to hotel companies. Uh, Mr. Chairman, some of our uh, businesses, including, again, the hoteliers, are uh, warning that their inability to make payments is threatening the servicing of commercial-backed um, securities. And I just wonder if you can bring us up to date on the status of the CMBS market. Well, as I just mentioned, one of the problems of the CMBS market is there are very strict contractual obligations. And that's why one of the things I do think we need to look at in the next CARES Act is additional funding for these industries that are the hardest hit. A recent study from the hospitality union Unite Here found that creditors collecting on troubled real estate assets are mostly private equity companies or large-scale real estate investors, hence the urgency from the Treasury Secretary here. As the Wall Street Journal noted in its report on the study, one of those named was Thomas Barack. His $50 billion firm, Colony Capital, is owed about $2 billion in commercial mortgage-backed securities payments. The journal didn't note this, but Barack is a big supporter of Donald Trump. Unite Here has asked Congress to avoid bailing out commercial real estate investors, saying it would mostly benefit guys like Barack with, quote, zero effect on hotel employment levels. The union noted that Congressman Bill Posey from the clip we just played was one of 108 members of Congress who recently signed a letter calling for bailouts of commercial mortgage-backed securities. So you know that is probably coming very soon in the next few weeks. Congress writing a huge check, one of those huge oversized novelty checks, except uh, there won't be an actual oversized novelty check. It will just be the uh, have the effect of that. Look, the point is Thomas Barack is probably going to get a huge bailout from Congress and uh, other people like him. Finally, let's talk about 5G networks. No, they are not causing coronavirus like the cranks believe. But there is a concern in the U.S. that the rollout of the next generation of cellular technology will actually make the digital divide even worse. That divide refers to those who have access to high-speed internet in the country and those who do not, a disparity that often maps onto both socioeconomic status and the urban-rural divide. The Government Accountability Office report released on Monday warned that the Federal Communications Commission 
isn't doing enough to roll out 5G technology in a way that will ensure access to currently disconnected Americans. 5G will offer faster internet speeds than its predecessor 4G. It's also capable of carrying far more bandwidth, allowing the connectivity of several devices, making 5G necessary for the emerging Internet of Things. GAO interviewed experts who reported that these new, faster networks are first being deployed in areas already equipped with much of the necessary infrastructure. Those are areas, according to the GAO, that are, quote, generally urban, densely populated, high-income areas, as opposed to rural or low-income areas. The oversight body goes on to conclude that, quote, 5G networks are more likely to be deployed in commercially viable areas, including those parts of a city that are already equipped with fiber and power and presumably already benefit from the most advanced mobile broadband services available, end quote. The FCC responded to the concerns by claiming that it is making $9 billion available for rural areas to develop 5G networks. But GAO dismissed the pledge because the FCC doesn't have in place any metrics to gauge if the digital divide is actually being closed through the rollout of 5G. GAO recommended that the chairman of the FCC, Ijit Pai, develop specific and measurable performance goals to determine the effects of 5G deployment on the digital divide. The FCC responded by saying it is seeking, quote, new ways to evaluate 5G deployment. By the way, the report didn't address how the development of 5G may also affect weather forecasting. That is still very much a concern on a global level that the new spectrum required for 5G will cause disruption to spectrum currently relied on for water vapor analysis. That's the basis for modern weather forecasting. The world's meteorologists and atmospheric scientists are plotting their next steps on this issue. And that'll do it for the newscast today. Before we go, let's read some haiku for our new subscribers on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash district sentinel. All new signups get their own haiku written for them and read on the air. This is for Thomas. How about them folks? Time for appreciation. Stand up for bagels. Thank you, Thomas, and thanks to all the new subscribers. Again, that's patreon.com slash district sentinel. Okay, one last thing to do before we go today. We've got a call on the listener rant line. Let's check it out. Hey, everyone. It's Slater, and I wanted to call in with an update on the Awful Pundit Tournament. The regular season is wrapping up the last Polls are going up today, June 30th. They will conclude July 2nd at noon, at which point we will switch over to calculating the scores. Going to do a live stream to announce the winners and who is qualifying for the Awful Pundit Tournament in 2021 and the subscriber-only Putrid Pundit Tournament, which will follow. It's a very exciting time for the Awful Pundit Tournament. And... um, want to thank everyone for uh, participating and subscribing on the Patreon and getting their big day baseball cards. Um, again, Sam, so you got to let me know if you guys got your big day baseball card. That, that thing is priceless. Uh, you guys have a great day. Bye. 
Thanks for the call, Slater. Uh, bad news. I know I said this last time you asked, but I still have not gone to the freaking post office. I have not stepped foot in the post office since the pandemic started. Uh, but I will go there. I will go to the post office Thursday this week. And if I find the Big Dave baseball card, I will provide proof of life. I'll take a picture and post it for you, Slater. Uh, I'm looking forward to the... Uh, to the next off to find out who makes next year's awful pundit tournament. The put is it the putrid pundit tournament? Yeah, well, that's the member only tournament, I guess. Oh, all right. <laughs> There's so many different things moving. There's so many moving parts going on over at Awful Pundit Tournaments Patreon. Uh, I recommend everybody uh, if they if they can afford it right now to subscribe. Uh, and Slater, take care of yourself. You didn't sound too too good there. I think you're pretty congested. I saw on Twitter you weren't feeling well. So uh, get some rest. I know you're putting in long hours at the APT. That's the show. We've got a brand new chip chat tomorrow. We've got a brand new Means Morning News on Thursday. And then we're back with the subscriber-only Friday garbage can show. We're here in D.C., so you don't have to be.